This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. God bless you. Please grab a seat. What do you think about when you hear the word power? Power is something we all want. Even in unique ways, we, we want the power to see our lives improve. We want the power to have a better marriage. We want the power to know how to treat people well, even in difficult moments. Power is something that we spend a lot of time in life chasing and trying to acquire. Power, it's a simple word, but it's something all of us think about in different ways from time to time. And I was thinking about it this week. I don't know that there is any power as powerful as nuclear power. But what's interesting about that power, the same power that can destroy a city can light up a city. The same power that can level a home can cool a home. It all depends on how it's used. And it may surprise you to know, in your life day by day, you carry just as deadly or just as helpful a power every second of every day. What you carry, the Bible says, has the power of life and death. It all depends on how you use it. It's the human tongue. The tongue, on average, is about three inches long. It weighs only two and a half ounces. But something so small has a profound ability to create damage that can last a lifetime. It also has the unique ability, when used in the right time, in the right way, to bring life-restoring hope to a desert of despair in someone's life. As we move into James chapter 3, and by the way, if you're a guest this morning, we're going verse by verse through what's called the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we believe the Word of God is fully inspired by God, but written through human authors. So it's the Word of God written through James. He's the pastor of the mother church in Jerusalem, had a front row seat to the life of Jesus his whole life, younger brother of Jesus. And as we move into chapter 3, he's dealing with how we use our words. Chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James is about to deal for a few verses with our words. And our words have more weight than we think they do. And what has incredible power is often handled very carelessly. He begins with those who teach, a sobering warning, and he says, you'll be judged more strictly. I've often heard it said of people in leadership or people who teach that you're held to a higher standard. That's not true. There is one standard of the gospel. We all have the same standard. It's not that you're held to a higher standard. It's that you're held more strictly to the standard, the standard laid out in Scripture. And there's a difference. It has nothing to do with a higher standard. It's the standard, things we know and how we should function, how we should behave, what we should say, what we should not say. You go to work. You're having a rough day. You're at work, and you drop the F-bomb at work. And somebody may turn you in. Somebody may fill out a form because you did this at work. But you're probably going to navigate that okay. I go to work and do that. I no longer have work. 
there's a difference. It's not that our standards are different. It's that I'm held more strictly. And I feel it every week. Most Mondays, at some point, the thought will cross my mind. I can't believe I said that yesterday. It happens about every Monday. There's some moment in a message that I, I deeply regret how I said it or, or maybe how it could have been taken because I wasn't clear enough. There's so many words over the years I wish I could go back and change. So many words that I, I used that I shouldn't have used or words that I misused. I said some things I should have thought through before, before speaking them. I, I said some things I should have never said. But that's not really unique to me. For all of us, some of our worst moments in life is the damage that we created to people or relationships that were special by the words we chose, by the words we used or words we should have used but didn't. And so you might see those verses and think, man, I I thank God I'm not a teacher. Well, let's just evaluate that for a moment in the context of the language. It does speak to pastors and teachers, but also how many of you are teachers in the education system, you teach in class, raise your hand. You're off for the summer, but you're a teacher. Keep your hand up, please. How many of you have people that report to you at work and you lead people at work? Raise your hand really high. Keep your hands up. How many of you maybe lead volunteers or you lead a team or you're captain of a team? Raise your hand real high. Keep your hands up. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand real high. How many of you have younger siblings? Raise your hand real high. Everybody with their hands up, and I could go further. Everybody with their hands up, you're a teacher. Because teaching is influence. There are people that are watching you. There are people that are learning from you. So this applies to all of us. And verse 2 reminds us we we stumble in this. At moments, there are things that come out of our mouth that should not. But even in those moments, it is powerful. I grew up as a kid hearing the phrase, and you probably did too. It's very common. Somebody says something they shouldn't at school when you're a little kid, and you come home and you tell mom and dad, and they say something like, You need to remember, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I don't know that there's ever been a bigger lie told. When I was a little kid, uh, my parents decided to get a new dog, and so they got this little poodle. It was not a puppy. She was full grown. She was older in age. Her name was was Michelle, this little poodle, and, and she was from Satan. She was a demon dog. And, and I would try to play with her. I remember one occasion where she was up under the couch, and I reached under just to get her and pull her out. I was going to play with her. I still have scars on these fingers of where she bit me. We didn't have her much longer. But, but she bit this hand. You have scars that you wear on your body from accidents that happened. You, you broke bones. You've had surgeries. What's interesting to me is often physically we heal far better and faster than we do emotionally. Words can have a profound impact in your life and mine, and we pretend. You got to man up, you got to step up, you got to act like it doesn't bother you, you got to have thick skin. But the reality is, words are powerful. So how do we harness the tongue? How do we get the tongue under control? Because either Jesus controls your tongue or you control your tongue. Either Jesus controls your words or you control your words. How do we bring that in check? I think there are a few things it's important to remember. Number one, Just because everyone says it doesn't mean you should. Well, you don't get it. That's how everyone talks. That's what everybody says. That's how everyone at work talks. That's how all my friends talk. That's just who we are. No, just because everyone says it doesn't mean you should. 
You should have the, the spiritual character and the strength to be able to discern what's wise and unwise. And remember that in your sphere of influence and your group of friends and the people you hang out with, people are in different stages. Same thing is true in the life of the church. Some people are Christ followers and they have been growing for a long time in their faith. Some people are new to following Jesus. Some people are not following Jesus yet. And everybody's in a different place in their journey. And it's important to remember that and to recognize just because somebody else says it or just because everyone says it doesn't mean I should. Verse 3, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I grew up in southeast Texas. My uncle was a huge cattle rancher. I was around cows and horses a lot. And it's amazing how such a massive beast, a little bit in their mouths, you can control it. I remember when Ashley was really little, one of our daughters, she wanted to take horseback riding lessons. And so we got her lessons. And she was tiny. She may have weighed five pounds. She was a little bitty girl up on this beast. And she could control the direction. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And the words you use and the words I use don't just affect our relationships. They set the direction for our lives. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Another thing that is important to remember our words reveal our character. Our words reveal our character. The trajectory of our lives is often determined by our words. Jesus brings this up in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he, he's talking to religious leaders and he says, you brood of vipers, you slimy snakes in the way you function." How can you who are evil say anything good? You pretend to be perfect. You pretend to be religious. But I know how you really live, and I know what your heart really thinks. And the words you use are so damaging to people that you view as less than you because you're so proud of your religion. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. If you want to know how spiritually mature you are, simply look at the words you use. So who has control of your words, you or Jesus? Another thing I think is important to remember, when we control our words... We control our tomorrows. When we control our words, we control our tomorrows. They set our destiny in so many ways. The words you use determine what people think of you. They determine what you're known for, how you're viewed, how much you're respected. And James talks about this bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder for the ship. Who's controlling the reins? Who's controlling the reins of your tongue? And if Jesus is not the one guiding your choice of words then you're often creating damage on a regular basis. Verse 3, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force to set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself on fire by hell. It's pretty intense. 
I mean, why would God have such a perspective on the words we use? It's not that big a deal. I just said some stuff. I said I was sorry. It's not that big a deal. Especially in church. Because one of the things I've noticed is we have learned how to spiritualize what God would call sin often in church. We talk about people and we gossip about people and we run people down under the guise of pray for so-and-so. Did you hear? You're just gossiping. And we say we love Jesus, but we use our words to damage the reputation of people that he loves deeply. Because every single person you like eyes with is deeply loved by God. Every single person that you disagree with and think is wrong about this, that, and this is deeply loved by God. In fact, just as valuable and just as loved by God as you are. How would you feel if somebody talked bad about one of your kids? You can say you like me, but if you talk bad about one of my kids, we have a problem. In fact, we have a serious problem, and you're going to lose because my kids are precious to me. In the same way, if I were to do that about your kids, I'm going to lose because your kids are precious to you. Every person you lock eyes with is deeply loved by God. We need to learn to control this thing and stop tearing people down that God loves. God calls it sin. It's what put Jesus on a cross. It's that big a deal. He shed his blood and had to die because of how we use this. And then he goes on in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It, it, it sounds intense. But when you've been hurt, when you feel defensive, when you get frustrated, when you're angry, when you're insecure, we all deal with insecurities, when you're overwhelmed, this is the one area of our lives, in those moments especially, that we can set our world on fire or set the world on fire for those around us. And he's saying, for some people, the greatest evil in your life comes from your mouth. You think what you click on is bad. You think some of the thoughts you have are bad. You think when you stole that or you lied about that is bad. But for some of you, the greatest evil is the words you speak, and, and it's, it's so natural to you now. Tearing down people with your words, talking to these people about that person. Did you know the Bible says that anytime I talk to people about somebody else, it's called gossip and it's sin? The Bible says if you have an issue with somebody, you go to that person and you deal with them. But, but what we do is we want to gather up a posse and get everybody upset with this one person that we're going to run down with our mouths. And when you do that, you're functioning like Satan, not Jesus. Because the Bible says if you have an issue with somebody, you go to that person. You have the spiritual maturity. You've just revealed you're immature if you know Jesus at all, if that's how you function. And we try to sway the opinion of people in a negative way about somebody God loves just as much as he loves us. Throughout history... We've been able to tame. I remember one of the times I went to India. I was in southern India, and we went to a place near the coast, and they were giving elephant rides. And some of the largest elephants I've ever seen in my life, but the guy guiding the elephant had a little stick that was about three feet long and about as big around as my pinky, and that massive beast would do whatever he said. We've learned to tame elephants. We've tamed, tamed lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. We, we, we've learned to tame animals. 
And yet, we don't worry about taming the tongue. It's only when we give God the reins of our lives, truly, that the tongue can be tamed and controlled by Him. It is powerful. Someone told you they loved you, and it changed your life. A coach said, you got this, you can do it, and you believed in you. A teacher said, one day, I'll be able to tell people I knew you when. And you had more confidence than you've ever had. And some of you can look back at the landscape of your life and remember moments when someone spoke into your life in such a positive and profound way. And they had no idea how much it actually helped you. A simple statement from years ago that you still think of fondly. Or you heard for years how you were just a mistake. They wish they hadn't had you. Some teacher told you that your life was a waste and you were a failure and you would never, you would never make much of yourself in life. Or you heard over and over again, why can't you be more like? And you're older now. And you act like it doesn't matter. But it created a wound in here. And every single time something goes wrong in life, every time something goes bad in life, every time you face a challenge, there's a part of you that thinks, yeah, it's to be expected. It's who I am. They told me since I was young. And then there's the unique pain. The unique pain that comes from words not words that are said, but words that were never said. I was in Sims, Alabama, talking with a pastor. We were having a discussion about some things going on in his life, and he began to get very emotional. And he said to me, his dad had passed away, and he said to me, I never one time in my life heard my dad say, I love you. I never heard it. Some of you, you never heard I'm proud of you. You're still trying to make somebody proud that you don't even like. Here's the unique thing about God. He understands that we can't go back in time. We can't change that. You can't change what you heard or didn't hear, but God can heal you. You can't change what you heard or didn't hear, but you can change what those you love hear. I think another thing that's important to remember and we know this, we know this. This sounds so churchy. It's almost a, a waste of time to talk about because this is one of those things that we're so familiar with, we don't feel it or think about it at all. It's so there, it's not there. It's that our words can build up or tear down. This is interesting to me. I, I love where he goes in verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, family, people that are followers of Jesus that should know better, act better, live better. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Are you one of the people... You come into this room, and we're, we're glad you're here, even if you do this. You're welcome here. But some people come in this room, and we raise our hands, 
and we sing our hearts out. And then we walk into a week and trash people that God loves. We gossip and we lie. Well, you don't understand what I'm saying is true. Please hear me. Some of you need to write this down and memorize this. Everything we say should be true, but not everything that's true should be said. Everything we say should be true, but not everything that's true should be said. Some of you, when it comes to how you talk about people, you need to shut the fat up. Because you're doing more damage with your mouth, and you come in here, you raise your hands, you get all into worship, and then you go out and you live a life that discredits everything you did in this room. You have no credibility. Your credibility comes from how you love God and love others. And when you don't treat people well, and you bash people, and you talk negatively about people, it erases any benefit of what you do in this room. What comes out of your mouth shows who you really are. You post something about coming to C3 on Sunday morning, greatest church in the world. And I agree. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you post about it. But a couple of days ago, you posted about bumping and thumping at the club with your hose. <laughs> That'll be one of those things tomorrow I think, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but think about it. You think just because you put a little Jesus juice on your social media that erases all the junk you do the rest of the time? There's no consistency. And people that don't even know Jesus can see that's not how somebody that says they love God is supposed to function. It's not complicated. And you're doing more damage to your own credibility. You're doing more damage to the kingdom of God than somebody who's just who's overtly saying, I don't even believe in God. Every now and then, somebody will tag me in a post. I was at C3, it was awesome. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I'll look at their social media, I'm like, oh, dear God. (laughs) But it's so common. Act real spiritual for an hour and act like we love Jesus and get into the songs and get emotional and raise our hands, and it's awesome. And then we treat people that God loves deeply like they're garbage. James says, you don't go to the fig tree to get olives. What's in you comes out of you. He's saying you can't praise God with your words on Sunday and blow up people's lives the rest of the time. There's something something deeply wrong inside of you if you live like that. And you're not representing Jesus well. Now listen, I'm just a guy on a journey. I have not arrived when it comes to this subject. I struggle with my words. I communicate every single week. And what you probably don't know is every Sunday after the second service, in a few moments when we're done here, every week I start walking this way at the end of the service and I get about right here and the thought pops in my head, another one's coming in seven days. So no matter how good or how bad the morning went, there's that pressure. So my brain just thinks in stories and how to communicate it. It's how I function. And so if we ever get in an argument, you're up for a pretty good challenge. Like, I know how to slice and dice. But I don't say that because I'm proud of it. I say that because I'm ashamed of it. My mouth is a struggle for me. I can throw out a verbal jab so fast. And it's an ongoing battle. So I'm 
I'm not talking about this because I've arrived. I'm in the journey with you. I'm talking about it because the Word of God says it, and that's one of the things I love about going verse by verse through a book. You can't skip over stuff. You've got to cover it. And if you're sitting here thinking, did somebody email you? No, it's just the next section of James we got to. But God does want to say something to you about it. So where do we begin this week? All of us, what do we do? Man, I want to represent Jesus well. I want to love people well. I've screwed up some things in how I've talked to people or talked about people. What do I do? Number one, recognize you need to change. Recognize you need to change. No more excuses. You've been living, living a double life with your words. Own it. I need to change this with God's help. I need to bring some change into this area of my life. No more excuses. Six months from now, you will have a stack of results or a stack of excuses. You get to decide which one you have. And I watch people fall into the habitual pattern of making excuses for everything in their life is wrong and never looking in the mirror, owning it and saying, this is me. I screwed up. I messed up. It doesn't even matter if, about the other person and who they are, what they are. You have a responsibility not to talk like that about people, not to say things about people, not to damage and be a spiritual assassin against people's character when they're not there, especially to defend themselves. Over the years as a pastor, every now and then somebody would come to me and say, hey, listen, somebody's really upset with you. They said this. I'm like, who? who? Oh, I can't tell you. That's garbage. The minute you say you can't tell me, they have no credibility. I don't talk to Anonymous. I don't think about Anonymous. I don't worry about Anonymous. Anonymous is not in my life. So if you can't man up and tell me who said it, we have no conversation. Because biblically, what you're doing is you're throwing up on me and you're not giving me an opportunity to resolve it. Biblically, what I'm supposed to do if there's conflict is say, hey, we need to have a conversation. And the two people involved have the conversation. So don't ever be a part of assisting someone in destroying and trying to damage somebody's spiritual character because it's an awkward conversation. Have the guts, the backbone, and act like Jesus and say, you need to shut up talking to me and you need to go talk to them. That was fun. Number two, <laughs> ask God for help every day. I have to do this in my own life. Ask God for help every day. Take the time to go to God in prayer and say, God, I need your help in this area. Please guard what comes out of my mouth because it represents me and it represents you. Number three, <laughs> you're not the exception. You may have learned some horrible habits from mom and dad that didn't know how to control their tongue. You may have grown up in a hostile environment. You may de be dealing with some things in life that are brutal. That's, that's, that doesn't make you the exception. You may have excuses for why you talk the way you do, but that's all they are, excuses. It drives me nuts when people say, that's just who I am. Do you know what you're saying when you say that's just who I am? You're saying the power of God is limited. You're saying, I know Jesus, and he's good enough to save me, forgive my sins, and get me to heaven, but he can't fix this problem I have in my life. No, he can. The problem is you're not willing to turn that area of your life over to him. You're holding on to it. You're maintaining control. You're controlling the reins of your tongue instead of letting God do it. When you mess up, one of the most important things we can do is learn to both say and live, I'm sorry. Some of you are good at saying it. You say it so often it means nothing because you don't live it. Living I'm sorry is not groveling in the mistake I made. Living I'm sorry is changing the pattern and changing the behavior. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. 
I'll do whatever it takes to make it right. One of the greatest signs of humility is when you're the first to apologize and change. Number four, admit it, confess it, and then move on. Admit it, confess it, and then move on. Do not live and exist in guilt. One of the things so many people do is we spend so much of our time, wasted emotional energy, regretting things and, and, and living with the guilt of things in the past that we can't even go back and change. There's good guilt and, good ba- ba- and bad guilt. The good guilt is when I recognize that and I realize, dear God, I messed up. I sinned before you and I sinned before others. I screwed up. Please forgive me. And at that moment, you move on. Any guilt after, after, you've, after you've confessed it to God and made it right with other people if you, if you need to, any guilt you feel after that is from an enemy trying to distract you. It has no purpose in your life at all. God knows you can't go back in time. All you can do is confess it, admit it, make it right as best you can, and then move on. Don't exist in guilt. Live in momentum, a pursuit and a chasing of the life that God has for you. I don't have time to get lost in excuses or stuck in guilt. Admit it, confess it, and move on. And number five, you're not going to like this one. Number five, ask somebody to hold you accountable. We don't like accountability. We can't stand it. There are people in my life that have the right to speak into my life because I've invited them to. By the way, if someone ever walks up to you and says, I want to hold you accountable, run. Like, you don't get to decide if you hold me accountable. I will personally invite the people that I want in my life to hold me accountable. So there's a group of people that are allowed to do that and and, and to speak into my life. It starts with my spouse. Also starts with my kids. And and if you want to make a change in this area, if you want to change the words you speak, all you've got to do is this. You say, if you're married to your spouse, if you have kids to your kids, if you're dating somebody, if you're not married, close friends that love Jesus and love you, all you got to do is say, listen, I'm really trying to get this under control. I know that I have an issue with the words I use sometimes. I know I speak things that I shouldn't sometimes, and I talk about people sometimes in a way that I shouldn't. Here's what I'm going to do. Every time I do that from now on, I give you 100 bucks. You'll change. I guarantee you, you'll change. It'll take you three days. It'll be life-changing. When you bring some weight to what you're going to, okay, maybe not $100 a dollar, but when you bring some consequence to it to help you remember, it tends to help. You need accountability. I need accountability. I was thinking about this. The words we speak. James wrote this thousands of years ago. Still inspired by God, the Word of God, living and active, good for us today. But I had the thought, the power of words doesn't just come from our mouths. Today, often, it comes from our thumbs. What are you saying in social media and through text? Is it helpful or harmful? Now, let me give you some best practices when it comes to texting and how you use your words. If, if you want to have a better life, if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to be a person that is growing and maturing in your faith, if you want to treat your spouse well, if you want to set a good pace and example for your kids, if you want to be the kind of friend that people want, just some thoughts to keep in mind. The first one is, before you hit send to respond, think. We handle so carelessly what's so powerful. Have you ever sent a text you regretted? (laughs) I have far too many. It's like, how do I get that back? Think, how will this be taken? 
What does this look like coming from a Christ follower? Before you hit send to respond, think. But, but listen, sometimes I just need to blow up somebody's world because you don't understand they... I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you. And your behavior and my behavior, if you're a person of spiritual character, has nothing to do with how somebody else treats you. I'm expected to follow Jesus whether somebody else is being an idiot or not. I'm expected to have the right approach and the right language and the right words whether somebody else does or not. Number two. Oh, number two. If you can't read it in front of your spouse, don't text it. If you can't read it out loud in church, don't text it. If, you, if it would hurt your mom or your grandma, don't text it. Err on the side of, uh, maybe not. See, the Bible speaks to the fool that uses a lot of words and reveals how foolish they are. People that harness their words and use them more carefully, those are the wise people. Everything you see on social media does not deserve a response. Everything somebody texts you, you don't have to jump in the ring and swing back. The greatest strength is found, and I'm still learning this, the greatest strength is found in having more strength, the strength it takes to sometimes just walk away. Let it go. You don't have to fight about every freaking thing that comes across your social media or your text messages. Number three. Don't say through media what you wouldn't say in person. Dear God, the keyboard is the coward's greatest weapon. People are big, bad, and strong when they're not looking you right in the face. I've had people say things about me they would never say to my face. It's interesting how powerful people feel when they're hiding. If you have to do it hiding, don't do it. If you have to say it hiding, don't say it. Don't say through media what you wouldn't say in person. Number four, when using words, remember there's both a when and a where. There's both a when and a where. Now, I'm about to share my opinion. I, I cannot quote chapter and verse. I think I can build a good biblical case, but where I'm about to go is my opinion. I want to make that very clear because you have to decide for you. You're responsible to God for you. Don't just take everything I say. You go to the Word of God, study it for yourself, own your own spiritual growth and your spiritual life, and, and you make your own conclusions. But this comes from not only being a follower of Jesus and try to, trying to grow in my faith year after year after year, but also being a pastor for a whole lot of years. Just things I've seen and observed, and, and I think there's some wisdom in this, because what I'm about to talk about is destroying marriages. We're too connected. We're too connected to a device we carry. And there have to be moments when you put it down. Just because someone texts you doesn't mean you have to respond right then. I tell my kids all the time, or I did when they were younger, listen, I pay for that phone. If I text you, I expect you to respond. But anybody else, you don't have to. Like, here's the good news, mom, dad, it's your freaking phone. You get to control how you handle it. And if somebody, if you're in the middle of a conversation with your spouse or your kids or a good friend and you get a text, oh, hold on, I need to look at that. You're just elevating somebody you barely even know for somebody you say is the most special person in your life. You don't have to, you, 
write it down. You don't have to respond in five minutes. You don't have to respond in five hours. You don't have to respond in five minutes. You get to decide when you respond, when it fits in your schedule. And the immediacy of the moment, our phones are going off. Oh my gosh, I got to see what that is. Hold on, I need to respond. No, you don't. It'll wait. Only a few people have instant access to me. My bride and my kids. And my kids include their spouses or who's going to be their spouses. Everybody's married except for one and they're about to get married. Those people have instant access to me. Outside of that, you do not get instant access to me. If you did, think about how large C3 is and how much we've grown. I wouldn't have a family. I wouldn't have a marriage. You don't need me to solve your problem on Tuesday. You need Jesus. And part of my responsibility is to help you seek him, know him, spend time in his word each day. And yeah, if there's a massive crisis, that's why we have a staff. Somebody will get there. It may not be me because you don't know what's going on in my life or the needs of my bride or the needs of my kids, and they come first. Family dinner isn't family dinner when your digital world's at the table with you. Shut it off. Connect with the people that you say are really important in your life. And for some of you, I told you this was my opinion, right? So you can tell it's kind of a hot button issue with me from a lot of conversations I've had with a lot of couples over the years. For some of you, who you decide to bring to bed with you is killing your marriage. You're more connected to everything on your device than you are your spouse. You lay in the same house, in the same bed, watching different shows on different devices, and because of that, it's become a distraction where there's no need to have conversation. There's no need to resolve conflict. We just go to the numb place of watching this, and we'll deal with it tomorrow, and because of that, we never deal with anything. Before phones, you used to have to have conversation. You've you got to resolve this junk. It, it's icy cold in the bed. You've got to figure out why. You've got to have a conversation. You've got to be a freaking grown-up and address issues and discuss problems and grow instead of going to this toddler distraction all the time where I need to be entertained and I can't deal with real life. I told you personal opinion. <laughs> but what you know is when other people have too much access to you, the people who matter most have less access to you. So is, is it invading your space? Are you home but not present? She says, well, he gets in bed every night on his phone and says he's working and it's hours and he just, he's in bed with his phone. He says she's in bed with her phone and I, I have no idea what she's doing. She does some work, but every now and then she smiles and laughs and I, I ask her, who, who are you talking to? I said, your friend. Did you know Facebook is mentioned in one out of five divorce cases now? Because somebody connected with an old flame and they thought, oh my gosh, I've been missing you my whole life. Jethro, you forgot, you broke up. Like there was a reason. It didn't go well. But now, now you're so connected. And by, I'll go a step further. Like we're messing with it, let's just mess with it. You are cray cray if you live in a marriage where your spouse doesn't have the passcode to your phone. The Bible, page two. Page one, God created the world. Page two, he said, leave your father and mother and be connected as one. Bios is the word in the original language. It literally means one. There should be nothing that is a secret from my spouse. If you are doing that and keeping secrets from your spouse, you're shady. There's no reason they shouldn't have the password to your phone. 
the password to your email. Angel, I share everything like that. Not because there's this gotcha thing, but because we're one. And I don't want to leave any room for anything to ever interrupt what God's doing in our lives and our marriage. And if somebody, I didn't say this stuff first service. I don't know who needs it, but you're here, you're listening. (laughs) If you're married and somebody's hitting you up on your phone and communicating that way, if they don't respect your marriage to someone else, they won't respect your marriage to them. You're lighting a stick of dynamite in your lap, and you're looking at the sparks thinking it's fireworks. You don't realize that thing's going to blow off and blow your junk out of the water. You take that how you want. That's another one of those things tomorrow. I can't believe I said. There are a lot of Mondays I think I'm resigning. It's done. Our words are powerful. And how you handle them. You may be careless, but God is not because people, 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 every single person is precious to God. And God gives you resources to use for his honor. God gives you gifts and talents to use for his honor and to make a difference in life. God gives you words. The average person uses one million words a year. Some of you are overachievers. But the average person, all of that, are you doing it to glorify and honor God and build people up and help people? Are you, hey, you know about her? You know about him? And you will not have the presence of God in your life at the level you could when you disrespect and dishonor people that God loves. Would you pray with me? Father, there's some places in your word that are so challenging, so difficult. And in what we're talking about this morning, God, our words, I have failed so often. God, I I know I'm not where I need to be, but I'm thankful to you for your grace that I'm not where I used to be. I pray we would think about our words. I pray we would weigh what we say this week in conversations to people, about people. And God, for those in this room this morning that feel convicted because we know we've been messing up in this area, I thank you that the moment we confess it to you and we apologize to whoever else, it's made right and we can move on and we don't have to live in that guilt. That your grace and your forgiveness are big and powerful. God, help us to use our words wisely. To speak well of people and to people. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is a relationship with Jesus. Because what we're talking about, it's impossible to do unless the Spirit of God is in you. This is not natural. It takes something supernatural. And so if you're here this morning and you'd like to give your life to Jesus, I can't think of a better day to say, hey, I want my sins forgiven. I want a home in heaven after this life. I want the Spirit of God living in me in this life to help me with my words, to help me with my decisions, to to give me wisdom in how to live life. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. Just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin. And help me to live for you. As best I know how, I give my life to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we- Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311, and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. 
And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.